Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I'm your host. And as always, we're going to dive into the political machine here in the United States and kind of look at some of the stories that may have been missed by mainstream media, but are worthy of our attention and consideration. So as always, uh, when we start out, we do our update on the COVID uh, disease here in the United States. And we're at uh, 103.5 million cases having been reported. Uh, 1.12 million deaths uh, have been reported and 673 million people have received vaccination against the pandemic. So as always, we continue to make progress, but there is still work to be done. Let's make sure we're following the protocols that we have been discussing here for the last two and a half to three years as we have progressed through the COVID pandemic here in the United States. So I want to start off with uh, looking at the big political event of the past week. Uh, Of course, by that I mean the Conservative Political Action Conference, which was held in Washington, D.C., uh, otherwise known as CPAC, and it looked like uh, pretty much a uh, Donald Trump love fest uh, that was occurring in the room. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, truthfully, I did not get a chance to watch uh, many of the, sp- the speeches in real time, uh, but I have uh, looked at some of the reviews and the highlights and, and so forth. Um, it It's Like many years uh, of CPAC in the past, it is a uh, challenge to uh, cull through the the rhetoric and the applause-getting lines and so forth to get to the truth of what uh, is being discussed at CPAC. Uh, One of the things that stood out from my review of the events was that one of the central topics, uh, aside from the 45th president, were the, as expected, criticisms and attacks on the current administration in general and the Biden presidency in particular. Uh, In addition, uh, many speakers were talking about issues surrounding uh, uh, transgender-related concerns, uh, particularly uh, mentioning and specifically mentioning, you know, the the transgender females competing in uh, athletics with non-transgender uh, female athletes, uh, and topics that, of course, included uh, critical race theory and uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, and similar subjects. Um, the overwhelming um, conversations revolved around the 2024 election and uh, who the Republicans are going to support. Uh, It is clear that uh, Donald Trump still remains uh, the front runner and likely uh, Republican nominee. Uh, It should also be noted that uh, Almost all of his uh, potential opponents, uh, with the exception of Nikki Haley, uh, did not attend the conference, uh, basically ceding the stage to the MAGA movement. Uh, And uh, that was something that was picked up on by many, if not all, 
of the uh, reporters from the mainstream media that were covering the event, uh, there were some very, very key facts that came out of CPAC, um, you know, not the least of which were the alternative candidates that uh, didn't show up, as I mentioned, um, and the ones that did uh, got a lukewarm response at best. Um, Nikki Haley, Vivek Rams, Ramswamy, and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo uh, received what would be considered polite applause, but nothing like the enthusiastic uh, ovations that Donald Trump did. And it should also be noted that, you know, uh, Florida Governor DeSantis, former Vice President Mike Pence, and Senator, uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina uh, skipped the event uh, in, in order and likely to, event, to evade rather a uh, split-screen showdown with Trump. Uh, again, you know, speaking to the fact that it seems that Trump owns the room when it comes to at least uh, the conservative end of the Republican Party. So, you know, and, it, and it's, it's changes. It's different than what CPAC was in the past. Um, you know, prior to, to the, the Trump era, uh, it was, you know, it was the home ground of, you know, the, the Tea Party type uh, conservatism that, you know, talked about limited government principles featuring, you know, a, a bent toward a libertarian flair. Um, and, you know, it is, it's clear that there's been a fundamental shift, uh, ground shift in the thinking of the Republican Party as a whole and the conservative wing of the Republican Party uh, and extreme conservative wing, aka MAGA, uh, since uh, the you know the last decade and so forth. One of the other big takeaways from this year's CPAC was uh, the the smaller crowd size uh, that was present, uh, as well as the um, more muted response to a lot of the key Republican principles that were discussed in the speeches. Uh, there was still no lack of um, falsehoods or misleading statements uh, made. Uh, I, I took a, a look through both uh, PolitiFact and FactCheck.org and it was uh, roughly, you know, almost 10 to 1 of uh, false statements as opposed to, you know, true or mostly true statements that came out of CPAC. Uh, there was a lot of uh, false information given. There were a lot of, you know, red meat subjects that were presented, which, of course, received rousing response from the uh, pro-MAGA crowd. And... Um, all leading up to uh, President Trump or former President Trump's keynote speech, uh, which uh, was clearly a crowd favorite and uh, didn't push forward any really new initiatives that uh, would lead you to think of what a the Trump platform would be for the 2024 election. Still a lot of threats about you know getting rid of uh, elements of the government and, you know, the woke word was thrown around at, uh, over the course of the week. Uh, 
uncountable number of times. So, you know, CPAC was, you know, CPAC. And, you know, it, it, it just reflects that this coming political season, we are going to have to pay very close attention to what is said. We are going to have to exercise both our fact-checking abilities as well as those of the entities out there that that do that kind of thing for a living and really, really uh, apply some critical thinking to what they're telling us and what the reality is here on the ground. And, um, you know, keep in mind that, you know, as, as we've talked about on this show, there, there seems to be a penchant for um, Republican side of the aisle discussions uh, to see an event or see an item, you know, right in front of them and call it something else. Um, you know, there there is a lot of times where things that are you know obvious to most Americans or of central concern to most Americans don't make the radar in terms of you know Republican elected officials. And this is something that, as we've spoken about on this show, uh, we really need to work to keep them in check and keep their feet on the ground uh, and perhaps keep their feet in the fire in terms of uh, addressing the real issues that face this country. Uh, a lot of times, you know, and what we've seen and we've talked about over the past shows, uh, it, it is like uh, the, the show we saw at the State of the Union address where, you know, they, they heard the speech and, you know, just heckled uh, out from left field uh, and really clearly were just trying to make a show uh, of how just how belligerent they could be so you know we'll we'll keep an eye on on the the um, fallout from cpac and let you know what what we come up with as we go over the next couple of weeks but all i can say is uh, we all need to make sure that we strap in and get engaged in the political process because it is going to be a wild uh, ride between here and November of next year. One of the other subjects that was briefly mentioned but not given a whole lot of uh, detail or um, understanding of what potential plans the Republicans may have is the perceived situation with Social Security and Medicare. Uh, true that uh, CPAC speakers were talking about you know how they want to handle uh, the Social Security and Medicare with uh, tactics ranging from eliminating it to uh, raising the uh, age of retirement to uh, doing some interesting um, financial moves. And it's in that latter frame that a story showed up uh, this week, uh, came out on March 1st, and uh, it mentioned a group of senators uh, that were considering an approach to uh, to keep the Social Security uh, trust fund uh, uh, fed with money over the coming years, uh, raising the, the specter of the fund going broke in, you know, uh, between 10 and 15 years, depending on who you talk to. Uh, 
Um, but uh, this group of senators um, is uh, considering something called a Sovereign Wealth Fund, or SWF, to uh, present, prevent Social Security insolvency. And uh, what this is, an SWF, again, a Sovereign Wealth Fund, is a government-backed investment fund, and its profits would be used to pay Social Security benefits. Uh, if, you know, according to what has been uh, leaked out of the plan so far, if it failed to generate profits, uh, the bipartisan group of senators uh, indicated they are amenable to tweaking, tweaking payroll taxes. Um, so, you know, it, it's clear that, you know, they are looking at a wide range of measures to address the impending insolvency of the Social Security Fund. Um, but again, this uh, SWF concept uh, is something that are new. Uh, typically, um, even though the United States currently does not have uh, these type of funds at the federal level, uh, typically SWFs are investment funds owned by the government according to the Federal Reserve. Uh, and in this case, as I said, uh, proceeds from the fund would be used to uh, make or um, uh, supplement uh, Social Security payments. So according to uh, an organization called Semaphore, and you know, the, the spokesperson, Joseph Roig, who reported this week that uh, the senators led by Senator Angus King, an independent from Maine, and Senator Bill Cassidy, a Republican from Louisiana, uh, they are considering this method to uh, shore up the funding for Social Security. Uh, the, the additional report coming out of this, uh, again, bipartisan panel, is that they want to eventually raise the retirement age to 70. Um, and there have been a, you know, a, a more than one approach to this, rather than just jumping it from where it is right now uh, up to 70, that maybe they would phase it in over you know, a, a few years uh, step by step. According to um, representatives uh, or, or members of the group, uh, they told the news outlet Semaphore that uh, Social Security could be made solvent for 75 more years at least. Now, this is, is generating a lot of comment. Um, you know, Senator Mitt Romney, who has been attending the talks, uh, said this week that an SWF would allow the U.S. to, quote, be able to borrow at low interest rates and invest in the growth of our economy and perhaps economies of other nations as well, close quote. Uh, so, you know, the, <laughs> the devil's in the details, people, as, as always. You've always got to uh, dig for more information, how this might work, um, and, and so forth. Um, but according to, you know, what Romney said in the quote, uh, that's what other retirement funds do around the world. Uh, in corporations and in the railway world, it creates a substantial source of revenue, he's quoted as saying. Uh, adding that if the investments didn't do terribly well, 
we would kick in through other sources and make sure that we don't threaten in any way the benefits of recipients. Uh, hence, one of those details I said we need to find out about. Uh, so, you know, it, it's clear that, you know, this is a possibility. Um, it is something that, you know, should be seriously considered. But again, uh, we need to make sure going in the front door that, you know, it, it has a, a solid chance of being successful. One of the things to keep in mind is that this fund would be uh, an investment fund, which means it could be subject to the whims of the market. Uh, and, you know, we've been hearing discussion from sources, you know, all over the economic forefront of, you know, an impending recession and things going on. So, you know, while it would take time to put this, this plan in place, uh, if there was a, a significant or substantial recession or, you know, heaven forbid, a, a depression that occurred, then the funds would be drawn from Social Security taxes on workers' paychecks. So, you know, perhaps, and again, I'm, I'm not a financial analyst, but it just seems logical to think that if this fund is going to, you know, flip over and draw from uh, payroll deductions, that that could mean an increase in those deductions uh, hitting, you know, the, the workers, uh, which, you know, would, you know, essentially uh, create, you know, the, the same type of affordability crises that we see now with inflation and, you know, supply chain issues and so on and so forth that we've been hearing about in the news. So, you know, it, it's an interesting proposal. Um, I think it shows that, you know, at least there are some in uh, the government, uh, like members of this bipartisan committee, uh, that are trying to find solutions to the problems. So we, we'll keep an eye, we'll put a pin in this and keep an eye on it and bring you more information as more of it comes to the surface. In contrast to that, um, an article came across my radar uh on the 1st of March, uh, speaking about uh, a bill that's being pitched in Florida uh, that would uh, basically eliminate the Democratic Party in Florida. Uh, this comes from a uh, Florida uh, elected official. Um, it's called the Ultimate Cancel Act. And it was filed by State Senator Blaze in Goglia, would require the state's division of elections to, quote, immediately cancel the filings of any political party whose platform had previously advocated for or been in support of slavery or involuntary servitude. The bill, and you can look it up, and uh, we'll, we'll dive into it a little bit here on this, this show. Uh, SB 1248 would require Florida officials to notify all registered voters who belong to any canceled parties that their parties no longer exist. It would also change their voter registrations to no party affiliation and, quote, provide procedures for those voters to update their affiliations to an active political party. 
What this means is the bill would allow any canceled political parties to re, uh, uh, political parties to re-register with the Florida State Department, but only under the condition that the party change its name to something substantially different from the name of any other party previously registered with the agency. Uh, the legislation does not specifically or explicitly mention the Democratic Party, but it, you know, history uh, shows and, and tells us that the party throughout much of the early and mid-1800s supported slavery. Southern Democrats, in particular, supported protecting slavery in the U.S. and opposed civil rights reforms for decades after the Civil War. Uh, the party underwent a major realignment in the 19th century, and support for such policies has been absent from its platform or general discourse for many years. Uh, essentially, what that means is uh, the there was a switch uh, where uh, Democrats who were, you know, equivalent to today's Republican Party in terms of their uh, conservatism and their views on uh, minorities and slavery and, and so forth. Uh, essentially, uh, there was a migration from that party to the Republican Party and a reverse uh, migration from the then Republican Party to the more Democrat Party, which brings us to the two parties that we uh, recognize today. Um, so while this legislation, as it says in the article, uh, said that the intention of the bill uh, was abundantly clear, and it, it says... Uh, presenting a bill that would disenfranchise 5 million voters is both unconstitutional and unserious. Under Ron DeSantis, Senator Ngoglia is using his office to push bills that are nothing more than publicity stunts. Instead of focusing on the issues that matter most to Floridians, uh, and this is a, a statement from the Florida Democratic Party, um, Florida Republicans hold a supermajority in the legislature, uh, and the legislation, legislative sessions kick off uh, this coming Tuesday. So he suggested in a news release, uh, and this is uh, Congressman Ignola of Florida, that his bill was designed to get back at Democrats and, quote, leftist activists uh, who he said have been trying to cancel people and companies for things they have said and done in the past including the removal of statues and memorials and the renaming of buildings. Using this standard, it would be hypocritical not to cancel the Democratic Party itself for the same reason, he said. Some people want to have uncomfortable conversations about certain subjects. Let's have those conversations, he's quoted. Uh, he noted the Democratic Party had, quote, adopted pro-slavery positions into their platform at its national conventions in 1840, 1844, 1866, uh, we seem to be heading in, and also it it raises you know concerns for me as to exactly what 
uh, DeSantis presidency would look like. Uh, can you imagine if uh, he carried forward with uh, this concept and sought to eliminate the uh, Democratic Party nationally? Uh, and, you know, when you think about it and, you know, remember, we need to think these things through. If the party that you belong to no longer exists and it forces you to have to re-register into a new party, uh, that's going to open up uh, potentially uh, a whole raft of uh, qualifications that you'd have to meet. Uh, it would likely make uh, disenfranchisement of groups and blocks of voters a lot easier. Uh, it, it, it's easier to exclude a group at the outset than it is to try and carve them out uh, from a, an existing entity. Uh, this, this should be a, a red flag for uh, not just Democrats, but for uh, Republicans as well. Uh, I think this is a bridge too far. Um, this idea that you are going to base uh, who uh, can can have a political party on a set of uh, tenants that come from 160 plus years ago uh, when the United States of America was a different country than it is today. Uh, and, and we've talked about these these differences uh, on other shows. Um, it, it really, really, uh, it concerns me and it should concern you know every uh, uh, concerned citizen and voter uh, because as, as I've said with other things that you know have been brought forward uh, this is not just going to apply to one segment or one group uh, there will be ways that such a such a procedure as this could be implied and could be enacted uh, in other states uh, and in, in other locations. For example, so Florida is a, a Republican state. What if the same approach would be taken in a Democratic state where based on you know the, the current content of a, a political curriculum or a political pl plank uh, could lead to the exclusion of the Republican Party? I mean, it is entirely possible that this ruling, uh, should it become law and should it survive, you know, legal challenge, because obviously this would go all the way up to the Supreme Court. And let's not get into the fact that the Supreme Court currently has a conservative uh, Republican appointed majority um, that, you know, this would be something that, you know, a, a Democratic Party perhaps radicalized by this attack on Democratic parties everywhere uh, could take in, in terms of other states in the Union. And we could see this, this culture war uh, between political parties uh, take front and center uh, stage in, in this country and you know, create you know, total havoc. Um, it, it causes me to wonder and it should cause, you know, each and every one of you, as well as, you know, voters across the country to wonder exactly who is it that we are electing to these offices with such radical ideas? And why are we not vetting deeper 
to try and find these uh, people with these radical ideas and, you know, essentially uh, not elect them or vote them out of office. Uh, this, this, is, this could be, as I said, this could be chaotic for our uh, democracy uh, and, you know, just create so much havoc to make the, uh, the uh, race relations battles we've had over the past, you know, 60 or 70 years uh, seem like nothing. Uh, this is something that, you know, I'm going to dig into further. Uh, as I said, it just came across my desk before I sat down to record this. So I'm going to dig into the bill, get the, get the specifics, and we'll touch on this in uh, next week's show. Uh, this, this has got to be brought out into the light so that you know, the American people can see what is happening and what this, this group in Florida is trying to do. Uh, remember, you know, as, as I've said you know, in, in recent shows, you know, Maya Angelou told us, if someone shows you who they are, uh, believe them. So if this is an idea that's now near and dear to Ron DeSantis's heart, uh, we need to believe that it is an idea that he would uh, likely bring to uh, his presidency, uh, if for nothing else, uh, just to keep uh, his political opponents off balance and distracted from you know, many of the other things he's doing. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about a governor who has uh, eliminated or banned uh, advanced placement studies in African-American histories. And according to reports that are just coming out, he's looking at uh, banning all AP classes in Florida schools. Uh, he is looking at um, banning uh, critical race theory, which is a, a course of study that is designed and delivered to college age uh, students and is not uh, delivered to uh, elementary school students anywhere in the country. Uh, so you know we we see we see who this this individual is showing us uh, that he is, and we need to keep that in mind and look at it very critically uh, as we evaluate him for the possibility of becoming president of the United States. So we'll, uh, we'll take our break here. When we come back on the other side, uh, of course, I've got some more Florida news to bring forward uh, and, and so forth. Uh, you're listening to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. We'll be right back after the break. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I got to tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation. And it feels good. Wow, your story is so... Uh, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> when people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. 
Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. And we're back. We're back with Fire It Up right here on WJMS Media. So I uh, wanted to, uh, to put a bow on the piece I cited at the end of the first segment. Uh, specifically, uh, there's an article in Mother Jones from uh, David Korn, who is uh, someone that I do track because uh, I find his opinions uh, to be largely insightful uh, in, in what he publishes. And he wrote a piece uh, titled Ron DeSantis's War on Freedom, uh, subheadline, The Florida Governor is Out with a New Book Hailing Freedom as he attacks academic and media freedom. Uh, so the article states uh, in part, and I'll, I'll highlight it um, for you, uh, it starts off with freedom is what the Republican and conservatives have long insisted they care most about. At campaign rallies and conservative shindigs, they get all weepy when Lee, Lee Greenwood sings, I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. Uh, for decades, they have accused their political foes of seeking to destroy freedom by imposing socialism, communism, Bolshevism, collectivism, and whatever uh, upon the USA. Uh, this, as, as Korn states, has been a ruse. The right has often been an enemy of freedom. For instance, conservatives have sought to limit the reproductive choices of women and prevent Americans from marrying the people they love. In recent weeks, we have seen a very specific assault on freedom in Florida waged by Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, not yet a 24 presidential candidate, but seems to be setting himself up in competition with Donald Trump for the GOP leader uh, most committed to authoritarianism and who yesterday released a book with a highly ironic title, The Courage to be Free. And he goes on to cite that uh, last week, two bills were introduced in the Florida legislature that would advance DeSantis's crusade and limit important freedoms for Flor Floridians. The first bill uh, continues uh, his long-running attack on the Sunshine State's education system, excuse me, which has included banning math textbooks that he claimed included, quote, woke, close quote, ideology, prohibiting classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity, thwarting the introduction of an AP African-American studies course, and he notes threatening to kill all AP courses, and deriding, quote, liberal indoctrination in the school systems. The laws he has already passed have led to book banning in some school districts. This new measure would block public colleges and universities from offering major or minor degrees in gender studies, as well as intersectionality or critical race studies. Uh, the measure also would compel colleges to offer general education classes that do not, quote, suppress or distort significant historical events or include a curriculum that teaches identity politics. Uh, these courses must, quote, pr promote the philosophical underpinnings of Western civilization. And we know what Western civilization is code for. Uh, the legislation filed by uh, Georgia State, I'm sorry, GOP State Rep Alex Andrade, a DeSantis ally, 
establishes the state government as an education censor, preventing schools, faculty, and students from determining the contours of college education. The article goes on to cite a quote from Andrew Gothard, president of the United Faculty of Florida, the union representing instructors at Florida schools, who said, among other things, and he called this, among other things, fascism in its purest form. The legislation would uh, place the decision to hire faculty members at public colleges in the hands of campus governing boards that would ultimately be controlled by the governor. It would prevent schools from funding diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Uh, David Corner goes on to report, and he, he cites this, this is a power grab and a mind grab. DeSantis is seeking control over what is taught. The legislation would require general education courses to promote, quote, the values necessary to preserve the constitutional republic without fully defining those values. And he continues and goes on um, talking about how this bill would fly in the face of uh, American history as described in or as, as laid out in the uh, Declaration of Independence uh, and, you know, that the the end result is, you know, a DeSantis or governor appointed uh, police force or policing body uh, that would come and, you know, uh, go after any teacher uh, who was teaching such principles to their students. Uh, the second anti-freedom measure that was introduced, also introduced by uh, State Rep. Andrade, would make it easier to bring a defamation case against the news media, which DeSantis last year identified as a priority for his administration. Uh, this legislation would especially help plaintiffs who have been accused of prejudice, uh, as the Tampa Bay Times reports, the bill would have a, quote, chilling effect on news outlets reporting about re people accused of discriminating against others on the basis of race, sexuality, or gender identity, legal experts say. And, you know, the, the article goes on to uh, cite an example and, um, you know, in, and say, for example, in cases involving a person reported to have committed a sexuality-based or gender identity-based discrimination, the bill limits the defenses available to the publisher being sued. Uh, an outlet accused of defama defamation cannot prove its reporting was factually sound by citing the person's religious or scientific beliefs, the bill says. So, you know, it, it's clear they are looking to restrict uh, what actions can be brought by a um, an individual who is uh, injured in the legal sense um, by statements of another. So, you know, it, it's it's clear that you know there there is a theme at work here, um, and it it is also uh, clear that it calls on us to deeply dig into what it is that uh, DeSantis truly believes in, uh, and by extension, what it is that the you know, conservative Republican uh, majority uh, is engaged with uh, as we look toward the 2024 election. Uh, one thing I would add to it is, 
if if we can learn any lesson from history, it's that once the oppressors have uh, dealt with uh, the the uh, oppressed uh, to their quote satisfaction close quote, uh, then they look elsewhere to see where there are threats to their their perceived power. Uh, what that what that says is, and, and you know, one need only look back through history uh, to see how uh, persecuted groups have been uh, dealt with in the past. Um, you know, the Egyptians persecuted the Hebrews and enslaved them. Uh, the Romans persecuted and uh, executed Christians uh, who were espousing uh, beliefs that ran contrary to uh, Roman religious beliefs. Uh, of course, you know, the, the German persecution of Jews and Poles and other, uh, you know, non-quote Aryan, uh, quote, Germans uh, is, is well documented, even if it is in some, some circles lightly believed. Uh, so we come to, you know, America with uh, the persecution of the Irish, the Italians, uh, you know, and, and other groups that came from Europe with the uh, treatment of the indigenous people by the original colonists when they arrived in this country, which consisted of, you know, basically genocide and uh, seclusion. Uh, the, the internment of the Japanese during World War II. History gives us all kinds of lessons uh, about how the the uh, persecution manifests itself. And when you dig into the details more, you find a lot of similar arguments uh, that are being given by the current uh, crop of, you know, uh, ultra right wing Republicans. Marjorie Taylor Greene wants to separate this country uh, into red states and blue states, which when you when you dive down and look at the county level voting, you find out that even the reddest of red states is actually purple, that there are democratic enclaves, you know, throughout uh, and raises the question, what are you going to do about these collections of you know, individuals who don't believe as you believe? Are you going to round them up and send them somewhere? You know, so again, we have to look at what. Um, our political leaders are telling us about themselves and understand that they are showing us who they are by their words, their thoughts, and their actions. And it, it is clear that, you know, Ron DeSantis has an agenda that he is executing right now in Florida. And should he win the day and become president of the United States, uh, the question becomes, is he going to move the same agenda forward on a national level? And what will that mean? And one last thing to keep in mind, uh, you know, it, it may be that, you know, minority groups and, and women and, and others are the targets of these actions now. But, you know, uh, white people in this country, you should not rest comfortably because it very well may turn and come after you as well. So, all right, that, uh, as I said, I just wanted to put that uh, and, and 
you know, wrap it with a bow uh, to clear the way to move on to uh, the next uh, item. And, you know, this one, you know, as I said, we're in the midst of Women's History Month uh, here in this country. We've just come out of uh, African-American History Month. Um, And there's an article that came out on the 4th from the Daily Coast. And this one caught caught my radar and this one comes from South Carolina and it it cites South Carolina's new pro-life bill would subject people getting abortions to the death penalty Uh, so you know that raised my eyebrows and in in digging into it it talks about a uh, bill that is proposed which is uh, SB 354 I'm sorry, HB 3549. Uh, it's called the South Carolina Prenatal Equal Protection Act of 2023. Um, what this means is that uh, equal protections being offered would ensure that an unborn child who is a victim of homicide or victim of assault is given the same protections under state laws, including up to the death penalty. How's that for impinging on your rights? Uh, You thought you didn't have rights before? How about you can be executed by the state for exercising your right to manage your own health and body? Uh, This bill comes uh, two months after the state's uh, Supreme Court ruled that their six-week abortion ban infringed upon citizens' constitutional rights to privacy. Uh, This bill was introduced at the end of February by State Rep. Rob Harris, a Republican from Spartanburg County, who said, quote, we have due process laws as long as they're followed. I'm not inventing any new processes. The Constitution of both states require due process and equal protection. So if you're accused of stealing a candy bar, uh, if you're accused of murdering somebody, it would go through the same process. Now, of course, stealing a candy bar um, has never uh, uh, led to the death penalty unless there was some other crime committed, such as, you know, murder or whatever. Um, but the the concept is that a, a woman, and we are speaking about women here because women are the ones who bear our children, um, could be prosecuted up to and including the death penalty for you know having an a a pregnancy terminated um by choice now in in researching this and and reading you know behind the article i actually dug up and found the uh, bill that it references uh, and looked into it and it says in part uh, the act may be cited as the South Carolina Prenatal Equal Protection Act of 2023. Uh, Section 2, the General Assembly finds the following, acknowledging the sanctity of innocent human life created in the image of God, uh, which should be equally protected from fertilization to natural death. The purpose of this act is to, one, afford equal protection of the laws to all preborn children from the moment of fertilization, and two, 
to comply with the Constitution of the United States, which requires that, quote, no state shall deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws, end quote, by repealing exceptions that permit willful prenatal homicide. Uh, point three, to ensure that all persons potentially subject to su such laws are entitled to due process protections and therefore to abolish abortion in this state as a legal act or as a crime separate and distinct from equivalent acts committed against a person who has been born. Uh, translating that uh, down a little bit further into normal English, it is saying that a um, preborn fetus that is, uh, you know, the, ter the pregnancy is terminated uh, in, in a willful act uh, that the mother uh, could be prosecuted uh, for a crime uh, with penalties up to and including the death penalty. Uh, just as, you know, an individual would be prosecuted if someone, you know, who is, you know, born, a post-born individual uh, who is assaulted or, or murdered, uh, the, the, the murderer would be prosecuted uh, for the crime up to and including the death penalty. Uh, the, the law itself goes on to state where, uh, in, and it cites section 16-3-105, um, where the victim is an unborn child and the defendant is the child's mother. Uh, it is a defense to prosecution under this article that the mother engaged in the proscribed conduct because she was compelled to do so by the threat of imminent death or great bodily injury. Translation, uh, if the health uh, and life of the mother is at risk, then uh, the criminal prosecution would not be allowed in that case. Uh, in a prosecution, uh, the next section, in a prosecution under this article where the victim is an unborn child, unless specifically provided otherwise, enforcement is subject to the same presumptions, defenses, justification, laws of parties, immunities, and clemencies as would apply to the homicide of a person who had been born alive. Uh, solicitors and the Attorney General shall have concurrent authority to prosecute criminal cases and to perform any duty that necessary, necessarily relates to such prosecution. In other words, as I mentioned, they have carved out an exception for the life of the health or the health of the mother uh, to uh, preclude uh, the mother from being prosecuted under the statute. And it, it goes on further um, that uh, says medical care or treatment provided with the requisite consent by a licensed physician to avert the death of a pregnant woman that results in the accidental or unintentional injury or death of her unborn child when all reasonable alternatives to save the life of the unborn child were attempted or none were available does not constitute constitute a violation of this article. The bill also goes on uh, to discuss any person may be compelled to testify in any action or prosecution initiated pursuant to this article where the victim is an unborn child, uh, provided, however, that such testimony shall not be admissible in any civil or criminal action against such witness 
and such witness shall forever be exempt from any prosecution for the act concerning which the witness testifies except a prosecution for perjury. So, you know, it, it sounds to me, and I am not a lawyer, that, you know, if uh, someone testifies against uh, the mother um, in this case or testifies against the medical professional, that uh, they can't be held for prosecution by doing that. That is, the medical professional can't turn around and sue them for libel or defamation, etc. The The bill concludes with um, the the statement that this act is prospective only and shall not apply to conduct committed prior to the effective date of this act and where uh, the, the concerns around regulating abortion or abortion facilities uh, they are not being repealed uh, by this act, but are superseded to the extent that such provisions may conflict with or be inconsistent with this act. Uh, so consult your, your favorite local lawyer to translate that into uh, layperson English for you. But essentially, um, my understanding says that uh, this act is forward-looking, that his, that actions that occurred prior to this being enacted uh, are not covered by it and that um, unless this act changes some of the uh, the laws relating to the administration of abortion or abortion facilities uh, that uh, this does not have an impact on those uh, but the the bottom line and the thing that gives me pause is the fact that they are escalating uh, the act of having an abortion from exercising from a woman exercising control over her reproductive rights uh, is is being further elevated uh, up the ladder of criminality now to include punishments uh, beyond just jail time and or fines to include incarceration and or the death penalty uh, for for women and for those of us you know who um, have you know wives and girlfriends and daughters and granddaughters uh, this should be very concerning in that uh, the the circumstances under which you know termination of a pregnancy uh, may occur uh, continue to be problematic and you know the the likelihood that a pregnant woman uh, could realize in in the state of South Carolina that choosing to exercise this could lead to the imposition of the death penalty now keep in mind there's nothing in this addendum uh, to this bill or this bill which modifies an existing law that addresses situations of rape or incest. So to the extent that existing South Carolina law does not include exceptions for rape or incest, this law does not either. So you know there is more more detail uh, to to be dug out about this. And I imagine as this bill goes through the legislative process and is debated, that you know these elements will will come to light um it it is uh chilling uh to say the least that you know this is being uh proposed uh and 
that we are at this place where, you know, for you know whatever reason, a woman who chooses to exercise reproductive freedom can be subject to the ultimate penalty uh, really, really should give us pause and, and, and give us reason to initiate conversations with our elected officials on, you know, what their intention is in implementing this law, um, reviewing what it contains and making sure that our thoughts and our concerns are addressed uh, in this law uh, or any law for that matter. So, you know, as we often say on this program, you know, it, it is about digging deeper and digging wider, uh, getting all of the facts. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, right wing media will pick up on this and run with it. And we will see, you know, stories from, you know, any one of the right wing media outlets uh, talking about this. And, you know, we need to be prepared to offer the proper pushback and you know discussion points and arguments as to you know why the imposition of you know the death penalty which in and of itself is traumatic uh laying that on top of the traumatic um uh events of terminating a pregnancy by a woman uh why that you know is not necessarily a good thing. So it is a discussion worth having. Uh, we will keep looking into this. We'll keep our ear to the ground to hear you know, how this bill progresses through the South Carolina legislature. And we will, of course, inform you of what we learn here on the Fired Up podcast. Wow. So we, we started off this, uh, this show uh, acknowledging that we are in Women's History Month. And, you know, we will continue to bring stories related to uh, the celebrations of uh, the contribution of women to this country. Um, And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to bring up for this episode is we are seeing some stories coming out about the resurfacing of the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, Did you know that the Equal Rights Amendment was first proposed a hundred years ago and, you know, has been an ongoing thing since that time? Uh, In the the last go round, uh, it didn't get enough states to ratify it uh, within the the allocated time frame. Uh, And this was just, you know, a, a couple of years ago where. Uh, I believe it was Virginia, was the 38th state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. However, its ratification came uh, after the deadline that is set by the Constitution for constitutional uh, amendments or additions to be ratified by the states in order to add them to the Constitution. So uh, it looks like the process will need to start over again. Uh, and hopefully get to 38 states uh, within the allocated time frame so that women will finally have a constitutional right to fair and equal treatment under the law. And, you know, of course, you know, number one at the top of that list is the equal pay for equal work concept or, or you know, laws. So, you know, again, 
communicating with our uh, legislators at the state level first to uh, push them to move for ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment and then to uh, push our federal elected officials to uh, bring that up for the final vote and signature by the president uh, in order to put the uh, equal rights of women uh, in writing into the Constitution of the United States to make it law and uh, take it out of the realm of possibility for any kind of uh, judicial uh, shenanigans uh, a la Roe versus Wade. And, you know, this is something that, you know, women obviously uh, have a vested interest to see happen. But uh, for the men out there, we need to get behind this and support this on behalf of our, our mothers, our wives, our daughters, and our granddaughters, etc. This is for, for them now and for them in the future so that they can be guaranteed to have an equal opportunity uh, and equal compensation in this country for the work they do that is you know, you know, equal to that of any man. So uh, it's long, long, long overdue. You know, it's more than 100 years. Uh, it's high time that uh, we push and make this happen. So that's our activism uh, going forward. Uh, let's make sure that we're also keeping an eye on uh, what, you know, Governor DeSantis and other governors that, that think like he does uh, are doing and that we are voicing our opinions on same. So as always, uh, let's make sure that we are engaged, that we are informed, and that we are educated. Let's get our information from many different sources. Uh, let's make sure that we seek the truth. We seek those kernels of uh, truth in the information that we are uh, looking at. As always, stay safe. Protect yourself. Uh, COVID is still a thing. Uh, let's be smart. Let's be safe. And thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any thoughts or comments on the show, please send an email to Fired Up Radio. That's one word. Fired Up Radio at yahoo.com. Uh, I look forward to seeing your thoughts and comments, and I will bring them to the show. Uh, and, and open them up for discussion. And I do get ideas for topics to cover from the email. So if you want to hear me uh, bring some, some thought to an issue, put it to me in an email and I will definitely address it. Until next time, thank you all for tuning in. Please stay safe. Have a, a very informed and knowledgeable and happy Women's History Month. And I look forward to talking with all of you again in seven days. Mm -hmm.